0: So if you have your, your Bible, you would turn to the book of Luke, chapter one. We are um, at the very beginning of a, a series moving through the book of Luke and and it, it lines up well with, with Christmas of these passages of leading up to the to the birth of, of Jesus. And if you've tracked with us over the, the past few weeks, you'll uh, you'll know that, that we've moved through these series of birth announcements that uh, the angel Gabriel announced the birth of John the Baptist and the Temple to Zechariah. He announced the birth of Mary, sorry, the birth of Jesus to Mary. Um, and then uh, we saw um, the, this beautiful song of, of Mary singing praise and, and worship to God. And so now, though, we are, we're coming to a, a passage that is the, the birth of John the Baptist and, and then the naming of John the Baptist and a beautiful song that, that flows out of that. Um, so again, if you, if you look for, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can turn in a, the Pew Bible. Uh, that's on page 856. So again, Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 57. who heard them, laid them up in their hearts, saying, "'What then will this child be?' For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, "'Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets from of old.'" that we should be saved from our enemies and from all from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days and you child will be called the prophet of the Most High God. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace." And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the, the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you that you have spoken to the prophets of old, and that they spoke and, and predicted the things that have been fulfilled. Lord, we thank you that you your word is is truth, and we pray that the the words of, of my mouth, Lord, and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our rock and redeemer. Amen. So this is a, a season where there is a, a lot of excitement. I mean, I know we have some kids here who are probably excited about Christmas coming up, and, and people are excited for, for good food, and for time with family. Uh, but then there are also lots of things in life that we are excited about. You could be excited about a favorite sports team or a favorite band, or you're excited about some achievements in your life or a promotion, or you're excited about something that your your children have um, done or one of their achievements. And I think that it's, it's fitting. It's right to be excited about things in our life. And there are so many. Wonderful things to be excited about, even when things are hard, or um, even when there are difficulties in our life. But I think sometimes, though, our our excitement can get a little bit out of whack, uh, where we we don't respond appropriately to the things that that come into our life. I mean, you can think of with a. With water, if a big rock is dropped in it, it splashes. there's a big splash. If a little rock is dropped in it, it's a little splash that it responds appropriately to what comes in. Um, but so often in our lives, we're way more excited about some things that are really not important. <laughs> uh, and then some things that are truly important, we, we fail to be excited in the, in the right way. I mean, you can think of a, a father who's more excited about watching a game on TV than he is about spending the afternoon with his daughter, or you could, you could think about a student who's more excited about you know, playing some silly game on computer than learning from professors, or whatever it is, that, that so often our, our excitement gets kind of unbalanced in different ways. And it's, it's the same way with our walk with the Lord in, in, in Christianity, that if the Bible is really actually true, if he really did the things that he did then we have a lot of reason to be excited. If it's not true, then, yeah, it's something that we can ignore. It might be interesting. It's some sort of mythology, but it's not something that we would get truly excited about. And I think that in our passage today from the, from the book of Luke, what, what we see is this true story of somebody who moved from a place of doubt, uncertainty, to a place of deep excitement, an excitement that is grounded in reality because it's grounded in God's plan of salvation and then seeing his, his new son's plan or role within God's grand plan of, of salvation. And so those are really just the, the two sections that we'll, we'll look at this passage in. that we'll, we'll look at Zachariah's journey from doubt to excitement, And then we'll look at Zechariah's song of praise at the culmination of that journey that expresses all of the excitement that had been building up in his life. And so first, let's look at Zechariah's journey from doubt to excitement. And you'll remember when we looked earlier in the chapter a few weeks ago that the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah in the temple, and he announced this amazing news that, that God's plan of salvation was, was coming, and that he would have a son um, in, in his old age uh, through his wife Elizabeth, and that the son would come as the, the herald to prepare the way for the Messiah. And so he had so much reason to be excited, right? He, he, was, he should be excited that the Messiah is almost here. He should be excited that he's going to have a child, that he prayed for so for so long. He should be excited that his son is, is going to be the final culmination of Old Testament prophecy. But then when we look at what the way he actually reacts, he, he doesn't react in excitement, doesn't react the way that he should, that what he should have done was was fall down and worship when he heard the announcement of Gabriel. He should have desired to gather all of his friends and family together to to say, look at what God is doing in the world and look at how he has promised to use my son. But instead, what he does is he, he begins to, to question, to wonder, and say, well, how am I going to know that this is actually going to, to happen? I mean, my, my wife is advanced in years. I'm old. Uh, this seems completely impossible according to human reason. And in a way, that question seems innocent enough. But we know that God, of course, knows his heart, and that this question was coming from a place of unbelief, a place of, of doubt, of fear, and so he then faced the, the discipline of the Lord. He lost his ability to speak, and as we'll see even in our passage when people are motioning to him, that he also lost his ability to, to hear as well. So he, he left the temple that day in complete and utter silence. And I think that, that you and I can definitely identify with Zechariah. That, that we hear the, the good news of Scripture, we hear the gospel, we've heard what Jesus has done for us. And then sometimes we immediately, from our, our heart of unbelief that's so hard to the things of God, we say, ah, how can this be? How am I going to know this? This seems really impossible. It's too good to be true. Or we start off faith with a kind of artificial excitement. And then slowly over time, we, we lose that excitement and just end up kind of dead and cold. And I think that when this happens to us, and it happens in various ways to all of us, we need the very thing that Zachariah needed. That God put him in this position of complete and utter silence. I mean, imagine that for nine months, not hearing anything. I mean if you've ever been in a silent room and just how that c- it can almost drive you crazy a little bit I mean so often even you'll we'll hear the buzzing of a of a light or something like that but he can't hear anything and then he can't speak he can't express himself in any way that he's sitting in, in silence and he's forced then to actually meditate on God's word to meditate on the promise of God and the plan of God that was announced by the the angel Gabriel and you know we even sang earlier uh, let all mortal flesh keep silent um, and it's sort of one of those strange Christmas uh, Advent carols that let all mortal flesh keep silent before him but but that is so often what we need we need this this silence to to grow within us and and because for as we sit in silence and meditate on God's word, that the excitement begins to to grow and uh, mature. And it's the same thing for us. And um, thankfully, it's probably not losing our hearing completely as a discipline of the Lord. But so often, I think, when we are um, aware of the fact that we're, we're confronting God's story of salvation, what he has done for us, and we sense the coldness, the lack of responsiveness, the lack of excitement, that the, what we do is we are are silent before the Lord. Think about, meditate on his plan. And that's what the psalmist means when he says, uh, be still and know that I am God, that I will be exalted among the nations. And what Moses means in Exodus 14 when he says that we have only to be silent and, and that God will be the one fighting for us. And that's also part of the reason that we have moments of of silence in the worship service of hope. We start with a moment of silence, we have a moment of silence for our, our confession. And it's not just that, because that, sometimes we think of, well, silence is what we do when we're not excited. Uh, but it's this deep awareness of the fact that we are people who are focused on pretty much everything in the world, but the things that we ought to be focused on. And that when we come to, to worship the Lord, uh, we are distracted and we're not properly focused on who God is and what he has done. So we need that silence to think, who is God? What has he done? What does it mean to come before him in worship? And that's when that that, that really authentic, true excitement begins to grow. Because I think that excitement, yeah, somebody can be kind of whipped into a kind of fury or a kind of excitement by production or or by some sort of very stirring orator who can who can get a crowd going, um, but it's a very shallow kind of excitement and is an excitement that just evaporates in a moment because it's not rooted actually in in something that is true. But this kind of excitement that that comes from this place of silence and this awareness of, of who God is and what He's done and, and grows that that's the kind of silence that is is far deeper and is far more lasting and can actually um, endure in all of the the trials and the suffering that that comes into our lives. I think that this is the the kind of excitement that began to grow in Zechariah as he left the temple in in silence, that it it started out as this kind of volcano. I mean, you can think of an inactive volcano that the the lava is beginning to, to build up Inside and it's pushing the the mountain out of a valley, and it, it, it looks silent. It maybe looks cold. You don't see what's going on, but it's growing and growing over even thousands of years into a mountain, and waiting for this moment to to, to erupt. And I and so is the the same idea for for Zachariah that that when his wife conceived, there is this growing excitement that can't be expressed, and then. His son is finally born, and he's excited that the Lord even preserved his wife giving birth. I mean, we talk about a high-risk pregnancy. All pregnancies were high-risk at at that time. And so especially somebody her age, he's excited the Lord brought her through safely. And then they they gather on the eighth day, according to the custom of Moses, for this um, celebration, this um, circumcision, um, very similar to even a, a baptism today where people gather to celebrate someone's entrance into the The visible covenant community. But it's at that that party then, you can can imagine Zachariah just watching everything unfolding. He can't hear anything. He can't say everything. All of his friends and family are there. And he sees some sort of commotion taking place because these friends and relatives are trying to name his son. And they're trying to name him Zachariah, which was, I guess, the tradition of the time that the firstborn son would be named after his father. And which is, because incidentally, I think, that would be, that'd be pretty annoying, I think, if, if your relatives and friends were trying to take it upon themselves to, to name your child. But I mean, we would see that today where somebody says, my child is named this. And people, are you sure that that's what you want to name them? People you know, question different names that parents might, might give. But then Elizabeth, as we see, is, is sticking to her guns and saying, no, his name is going to be John. And personally, I think that probably Zechariah, in some sort, probably through writing or some other way, had communicated what the angel said to him in the temple, Uh, because you'll remember that God said his name is going to be John, and so you could think of Zechariah writing down on his little wax tablet saying. That God told me his name is John. We know what happens when we don't <laughs> listen to God. So let's not repeat past mistakes, and so we'll, we'll, we'll stick to this. So Elizabeth is, is being faithful to the Lord here, uh, but the relatives continue pushing, um, and so they, they don't believe her. So they say, well, Zachariah, he's out of it. He doesn't know what's going on. So they go over, and they, they start playing charades with him, trying to motion to him of... of the question, and finally he gets what they're they're asking, and he pulls out that wax tablet that he can uh, write on, and, and in very clear letters he writes, his name is John. And he doesn't say that his name should be John, he doesn't say his name will be John, but his name is John, because he's recognizing that, yes, this child already has a name, that he was born with a name, and to name him anything other than John would be disobedience, even if it's going against the the traditions of the time. But as soon as he wrote his name is John, then, you know, the volcano erupts. All of the excitement that had been growing in this this silent reflection on God's plan. Look at at verse 64 in in your Bible. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And that, that There's then a pause, because probably then what we see below of Zechariah's words are what are actually spoken there. But then Luke keeps going and then comes back to it later. He says, And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And so the, the flood comes out of his mouth. It, it sweeps through the people listening. And then people take it, and they begin um, talking about it with their neighbors. It spreads throughout the, the community. And it, it's interesting. It says that fear came upon all their neighbors, that, that people are actually afraid. Um, and it's not that what Zachariah said, we'll see in a moment, he, he said very comforting, encouraging things. But it's fear, because they, they recognize that, that God is, is at work here. I mean, you think about it. They, they thought it was just an ordinary day in the, the life of the community. If, if you walk into your kitchen and somebody's hiding behind the door, you're afraid because you didn't expect them there. That if you knew that they were going to be there, then you wouldn't be afraid. And so that's the way it is here, that, that they weren't expecting God to be Here and acting in powerful ways to to redeem his people. And then suddenly, whoa, okay, what is going on here? And so they question, they wonder, what will this child be like? And so that's really the the first section that we've been talking about that it's Zachariah's journey from from doubt, fear, uncertainty to this true, deep, lasting excitement that was fostered in, in silent reflection. So now, then, let's turn and actually look at Zechariah's song of praise that's the culmination of this journey all along. And You see the, the song from verse 67 to the end of the chapter. And as I said, this is probably what he said back in verse 64. And it, it says that his tongue was loosed, he was filled with the Holy Spirit like an Old Testament prophet. And that that he actually prophesied, and these words of excitement poured out from him. And what he says um, in this song, and it's often called the Benedictus, um, from the first words in Latin. um, And what we see is a beautiful, poetic picture of what it looks like for us to actually express deep, truthful excitement about God's plan back to God. And so it's a great picture for us even here today as we think about what it looks like to, to have this flow out of ourselves in Garnet Valley. And, and you'll notice that at the beginning here of this song, they, that he, he expresses excitement about God's plan of salvation, and it's really the who of salvation, the what of salvation, and the why of salvation. And so if you, if you look there in your Bible... You'll see his excitement about the, the who of salvation. Look at verse 68. He says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. And why? For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for of, in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. So you see the, the who of salvation he says that it's it's the lord blessed be the lord god of israel and and the who is also this horn of salvation this the symbol of of strength and power that god is raising up and so all of it the the who of salvation is is god himself who is acting that that god is the one who is visiting his people he's the one knocking on the door of the world entering in to the world he's the one who is Redeeming his people, he's the one who is raising up this this horn of, of salvation, and so really it's this this who of salvation, who it is bringing it that is um, the source of our excitement. That it should, if we're responding appropriately, should make us excited, and it's exciting because it's completely his work, and not our work. That we're not the ones visiting God, but he is the one who has visited us. That we're not the ones redeeming ourselves, but he is the one redeeming us. That so we're not the ones who well up some sort of inner strength within ourselves, but we encounter the, the strength of the horn of salvation. And we're not making ourselves the king of our life, but Jesus becomes the one who, who rules and reigns. And so he's excited about the, the who of salvation, but you also notice here that Zachariah is excited about the, the what, what salvation is actually about. Look at verse 71. He says that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy, his mercy um, to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. And so this what of salvation, and you say, What is it? <laughs> it's this, this plan of God to save us from, he says, our enemies from those who hate us. And this rescue, he says, is according to God's mercy. It's something that he promised to the fathers in the Old Testament. Um, it was in fulfillment of his covenant that was given to, to Adam and then flowed to Abraham, flowed to Mount Sinai, flowed to David, and ultimately culminated in the, in the coming of Christ. It's this, this rescue from our enemies that, that was foretold, and is exactly what we need. But I think, though, when we, when we look at it, though, sometimes we think, well, I don't know if I need rescue from my enemies and those who, who hate us. And some and there have maybe more enemies than others. But scripture says that every single believer has enemies, and, and that the enemy that, that we face, we have three enemies for certain. <laughs> um, and the, these enemies, the first is the world, that is at enmity with god the the world around us that is opposed to god the the second is the flesh the s- sinful nature within us that is also waging war um, making us do the things that w- that we don't want to do um, desires that are opposed to the the spirit of god and then the third enemy is is the devil um, who also hates us hates the things of god that would sift us like wheat, who hates and despises. Every single person here Who despises the, the church of, of God. And so Christ came to rescue us from our enemies, from those who hate us, from the world without the flesh within, the, the devil, and the spiritual realm. And so he saves us from the world by um, delivering us from the domain of darkness, transferring us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He, he redeems us from the flesh by actually taking our sin on himself, on the cross, paying the penalty for us, dying in the flesh for us. And then he, he is victorious and rescues us from the tyranny of the devil by triumphing over him in his resurrection. And this is exactly what the author to the Hebrews means in Hebrews chapter two, when he says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And so this rescue from our enemies then, from the world, of flesh, and the devil, is something that should, if we're really paying attention, if we're really reflecting on what God is doing, should well up a kind of deep excitement within us. When you think of the, the allied forces when um, Nazi Germany uh, finally surrendered in, uh, on May 8th, 1945, that millions of people just, sh- they they went out into the streets, they were excited, they were rejoicing because their they're enemies, those who hated them, had been defeated, that they had been rescued, that they had been set free. Um, and then what we have in crisis is so much beyond that because it's not just freedom and rescue from some sort of temporal power, but it's freedom that actually gives us eternal life with with Christ. And so we, we've seen then Zechariah's excitement about the who of salvation, God, the what of salvation, this rescue from from enemies. But then also we see um, his excitement about the why of salvation, or you could say the the purpose, the end, the goal of salvation. Look at verse 74. He says that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And so God's purpose, his the the why the what he is doing is that we might serve him but that we might serve him without fear All our days, and that being without fear is partly because, yeah, we've been rescued from the enemy forces around us, but then also through Christ, we've been rescued from this endless cycle of rules and ceremonies to try to please God. That we don't come to to worship just hoping maybe we have done enough, but fearful if God actually will accept us. Exactly what we talked, Cindy talked about. Of do we know we're saved, Or, or is this there's this lingering fear? But through Christ, we have boldness, we have access, we have uh, the ability to approach the, the throne of God um, with assurance of promise. And yeah, we, we come with a certain type of, of fear of reverence, but we come as, as children adopted to, to God's family. And it's not a kind of confidence that leads us just to be flippant and say, well, I'll live however I want. But it's what Zachariah says, that we serve him in holiness and righteousness all our days. And so this also is a great reason for us to, to be excited, right? That We don't think about that. We, that we might have reason to be afraid to go to church. Um, that, it, that it's not, apart from Christ, it's not a boring thing to go to church, but it's actually a terrifying thing to go to church. But in him, it's actually something that we can celebrate and we can do with, with boldness, without fear. And so this, we see the, the who, the what, and the, and the why of salvation shining forth clearly from this song of, of praise. But it's interesting at this point, because this is a, a break in his song, that it, up until this point, he hasn't mentioned his son yet. Uh, the, the, he hasn't mentioned John the Baptist. And you might think, well, wouldn't the birth of this child that he had prayed for for, for decades be the most exciting thing? And, and he, he's definitely excited for his child. But his excitement it starts with excitement about who God is and what God is doing in the, the plan of redemption. And then his, his excitement about his son is, is really his son's relationship to that plan is his greatest excitement for his child. And I think that that's also true for those of us who are parents of what is what are we most excited about for our children? Are we most excited about the things... Their, their achievements and the things that they're doing? Or is the source of our greatest excitement their relationship to the plan of God and, and salvation and seeing them actually have a, have a part of that? Is that actually what makes us want to, to sing and, and leap for joy? And I think that what Zachary then is saying here is, yes, I'm, my son, I'm excited about your birth. I'm excited to, to know you as you grow, but I'm excited that, that you're coming as the one to prepare the way of the Lord. And you'll notice that as, as he begins to address his son directly, starting in verse 76, um, that he, he cycles back through the who, the what, and the why of salvation, and he explains to his little infant son there the part that he's going to have in the who and the what and the why of, of salvation. And look at this, that, that he's excited about the fact that his son will herald the, the who of salvation, verse 76. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High God, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. And then he's excited about the the what of salvation, verse 77, um, that John will go before the Messiah to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. And because at the very root of deliverance, our enemies is deliverance from sin, forgiveness of sins that was announced by John. And then finally, he's excited about the the why of salvation in verse 78, whereby the the sunrise, the day spring shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And why did he come? To, To guide our feet into the way of peace. And so this then is the culmination of his journey from indifference to excitement and this the song bursting forth as then his son retreats out into the desert for silence until his, his public appearance. And I think then as we as we wrap up then today that the big question that I think each of us needs to be asking ourselves is where are we in this the spectrum of excitement to the work and the, the purposes of God? Where are we on the journey from from doubt to true, lasting excitement. And, and I think that, again, as I said earlier, that probably many of us are at a place of indifference, or doubt, or fear, or anger, coming from, from lots of, of different places. And so what is then the, the first step to, to pursue this kind of true, lasting excitement? And I think that the, the best starting place is usually to think about our actual need for this plan of salvation to begin with. Because it's hard to be excited about something if you don't actually believe that you have a need for it. And then I heard this illustrated by uh, Pastor John Piper. And, and he said, talking actually about this passage, that if that the year before, if somebody had given him a mousetrap, he wouldn't have cared for Christmas. Uh, but they had a mouse infestation. And so he said, if you give me a mousetrap this year, I'll be really excited, because I, I really need it. Um, and then he said as well, if Somebody said, hey, I'll drive you to the emergency room, and you're feeling fine. You're not going to be very excited about it. But if you're, if you're bleeding, you're, you're about to die, you don't know how you're going to get there, and somebody says, hey, I'll drive you to the emergency room, you're excited that they're going to be there. Or if you see sirens behind your car, and, you're, and you stop, and the, the car pulls up behind you, and you see the lights, if you're speeding, you're not excited. But if you're about to be attacked or assaulted or, or murdered and you see the lights pull up behind you, you're excited because this deliverance is actually at hand. And it's the same way for us in, in our faith that if we're going to really have the excitement, then we need to to know actually where we're starting and what, how deep our need actually is. And what you see is behind this the song of Zachariah is, he states so much in positive language, but you can think about a negative. You pull off the negative from the song and you look at it and it exposes who we are, that we're, we're people who, who need a redeemer. We need God to visit us. We need a horn of salvation outside of ourselves. We need salvation from our enemies. We need uh, to be rescued from people who hate us. We, we're prone to serve God with fear. We're prone to live in unholiness and unrighteousness. We're prone to be ignorant of salvation, to despise the tender mercy of God, um, to live in darkness and the shadow of death, and to be in war and strife and violence continually. Like That's, that's the backdrop to this song of praise. And that is actually where each of us start, and, and that God in his love and his mercy has, has rescued us. And if that is actually true, if what he has done for us is true, and that our response is faith and repentance— Then the only natural, logical response is to be excited in His work. Um, It's not a kind of enthusiasm. It's not wishful thinking. That anything less than that, there's something is wrong. And then, and it's really that this this plan of salvation then that drives us back to reminds us of the truth and the excitement of what He's doing. And this is supper. Is this meal is part of what God has given us. To, to remind us of what he's actually done and, and the message of salvation and, and should drive us to the, the true kind of excitement that, that doesn't come from just emo, an emotional experience for a moment, but that, that deep, silent reflection on, on who God is that, that only grows and expands throughout our life. Um, and this, this meal points us to the, the accomplished work of Christ, that he took on a true human nature for us. He died a sacrificial death in his place. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. He rose again from the dead. And, and that he offers us life himself to, to sustain us. That we might know him and the power of his resurrection.